FBI Radio. 20 past 10. We're running a little bit late here today on mornings. I'm blaming the weather. I'm blaming yeah, the weather. Yeah, let's for blame everything. the weather for everything. <laughs> that is the voice of Kurt Iverson because it is down to earth delayed time. <laughs> <laughs> Today, I'm ex- I'm really excited about this today. Um, Good. Yes, we're getting into the issue of waste. Have you ever heard someone say that? I'm really excited, excited about waste. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> it's a big environmental justice issue for cities and we're going to hear all about some of the options for dealing with this waste within our city neighbourhoods instead of just shipping the lot off somewhere else. Oh, exactly. So I figured we should get into this because I think we are at this kind of little interesting moment with waste, right? We've had decades of all this kind of teaching everybody to be good and separate out their stuff and put this in the red bin and that in the green bin and that in the yellow bin and all that sort of stuff, Um, which is great. So I think we're getting better at sort of sorting and separating things, but then what happens to it? Put it in the bin, truck comes. You completely... Mm-hmm. Shook up my whole life. Well, a few. <laughs> God. Glad to do that. All right, go ahead. A few like uh, a few months ago, when you told me that recycling is it's it's a lie. Yeah, like we're in this crisis, right? Like, so what? None of us sort of knew that much about it until this crisis came on us at the end of last year, when the Chinese government made a decision to like stop importing the world's crap. They had enough to deal with and they're like, stop, you know, we've had it. Um, And it made us all realize, actually, that lots of the recycling, particularly, that we were dutifully putting into the yellow bins or even taking down to the recycling center, gets sorted at some facility in the city, maybe, but then gets shipped off in a container to the other side of the world with all the emissions that come with that for some other poor group of people to deal with with all the environmental consequences that that has for them in their neighbourhood. So Uh, it's kind of like, that's it. So I figured today, let's get into like, actually, instead of just collecting it in cities and then making somebody else's problem, there's all this really interesting stuff starting to happen about like treating waste, dealing with it in the city um, and taking a bit more responsibility for the stuff we're generating. Yeah. How, how do we deal with it ourselves as much as we can? Yeah. Well, look, it's a, Big thing to try and deal with, right, ourselves. Like, And the whole thing about city life generally when you think about it is that like, whether it's the stuff that we need or the stuff that we're then generating as waste, like we've got all these stretched relationships. So it's the same issue, you know, half of us probably don't know where our food's coming from. It could be coming from, you know, down the road in the Hawkesbury River. It could be coming from Queensland. It could be coming internationally. Um, so the inputs that we get in city life come from elsewhere and then the same with the waste we tend to ship it out so you know generally speaking if you imagine a city and you put a big huge plastic dome over it and then told everybody that's it nothing in nothing out we'd be up the creek we've got to rethink um and that's not a bad little imaginary to have in your head if you're trying to think about how to reduce the footprint of a city right how do we actually generate more of the stuff we need within the city but also deal with the waste um internally so yeah there's a few options. Because, yeah, like you said, people don't consider it at all. It becomes someone else's issue. It becomes, it makes problems for other people too. Like the people who live in places with big landfill sites in Australia or in poorer countries where even some of our waste is recycled, is, is and is getting recycled apparently. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's kind of like all that out of, out of sight, out of mind stuff and um, all the little options that we can talk about today are ways of like not just like, you know, taking responsibility and dealing with it um, 
in the city. But what's interesting about a bunch of them too is that it kind of kicks that out of sight, out of mind thing to the curb. Like you're actually a bit more like engaged and involved in dealing with the stuff that you're generating in your everyday life. Speaking of, do we have landfill sites within Sydney? Yeah. And so that's the other thing about all these things we're going to get into is it'll keep hopefully more stuff out of landfill. So lots of our landfill gets, you know, trucked out of Sydney, but there are people in our town who are living next to landfill. So there's a really big um, site um, at Horsley Park, which is out sort of between basically Parramatta and, and the proposed Badgerys Creek Airport. So it's like a huge site, 43 hectares, 430,000 tonnes of landfill going into that every year. And, you know, this is what we also used to do in cities. It's kind of interesting, right? So even just down the road from us here, like Sydney Park, that used to be the city of Sydney's landfill, right? Yeah, Dulwich Hill as well. Oh, really? There was, See, there I didn't was, know that. Yeah. All right. So, yeah, so all these things... Um, you know, but we're running out of space for that as well, like to just think that we're going to have these big giant areas where we can dump stuff. So like, um, what are the kind of little micro niche spaces that we could, you know, imagine in cities? Um, and like, not only does that potentially work to reduce the landfill, but it like reduces the transport emissions if we're dealing with it locally, because we're not putting it on trucks and we're not putting it in ships. And some of the options we'll get into, like even maybe make jobs for people. So like, Jobs and growth. Win, win, win. Jobs and growth <laughs> and trash. Woo. All right. We're going to hear about a few of those options after this. It's Kobe D, This Life. FBI Radio. You're listening to FBI Radio 94.5. And we're in the middle of Down to Earth. And I've got a question for you on the text line 0409 945 945. How many empty jars are you keeping in your kitchen? Yeah, because <laughs> you're going to make that tomato sauce one day. Oh. You are. You really are. We're talking about waste uh, management here on Down to Earth. And we're trying to make it sexy. How are yeah. we going? <laughs> well, it's dirty, that's yeah, for sure. Right. So, obviously, we've found out that nothing's actually getting recycled and China's not taking our waste anymore, so we need to start looking at ways that we can manage our waste on a more grassroots level in our communities. Exactly. So before we get into the new fancy technology stuff, I figured the first obvious thing for us to talk about is that actually cities have always had these great secondhand shops, like op shops, charity shops, secondhand shops, who've actually been trying to do a lot of that work of, you know, diverting stuff from landfill and having it like sold and reused. And they're awesome. But one of the things about them is we've kind of left that scene to its own devices. It's not like really like governments are looking at op shops and secondhand shops and thinking, wow, we should be treating them as part of the whole waste ecology and like thinking about how we can support them like that we haven't done in Australia. But um, there's one super cool example um, in Sweden that's been getting a lot of coverage in the last year or two. Um, so there's a shopping mall in a town about, you know, 50 kilometers out of Stockholm. The shopping mall's called Retuna. Um, and the whole vibe here is in Sweden, you don't just put your recycling stuff into a yellow bin or whatever. You like drive it to a recycling center or you get it there somehow. So they've set up this mall right next to the recycling center. There's a whole bunch of shops in it with like some super crafty upcycling people who can just come and pick over all the stuff that is ending up in the recycling facility, figure out whether any of it is like directly cool for resale or whether they can turn it into some funky craft thing and sell it at the mall. So it's kind of like that's kind of being encouraged by local government there as a way of like actually 
diverting stuff that's coming in, but turning it into cool things. And this mall is kind of now kicking off, right? People are coming there from all over the place to buy their Christmas presents and blah, blah, blah. It's awesome. Sweden, the land of Ikea. Yeah, I know, right? And that's the, I mean, that is a big issue with all of the kind of recycling and particularly the upcycling stuff, right? Which is if the stuff that people buy in the first place is so crap that after a year it's so broken that you can't fix it and reuse it, then that's bad too. Um, so yeah, you know, it's none of these things are going to be silver bullets on their own. So you're totally right. Like it is the land of Ikea. It is the land of a lot of junky stuff being. It is. It's all, I feel like it's changing a mindset though as well. It's not about, um, changing the mindset of just buying these new cheap, easy things. Mm. Um, because people, I feel like people have lost practical skills yeah. for fixing things. Oh, but exactly. There is there are places that are coming back that are helping people? Yep, yep. Learn. And so that's it. So that's another thing that's now kicking off, like around the world, is the idea of the kind of repair cafes or repair workshops, um, where, as you say, like the idea is that even if it's just you know a couple of days a week or a couple of days a month, that there are people in a space who are maybe jewelry makers or you know electronics people or whatever. And you can take your things that are busted in and instead of chucking them away, try getting them fixed. And uh, like you say, the really good repair cafes and like, you know, there's one in North Sydney right now operating at a Lane Cove. There's another one that the Bower runs in the inner west. And the really good ones don't just like try and fix your stuff for you, but actually also run workshops and pass on those skills about how like you can fix your own kit, right? Because um, some of those skills are definitely things that we can learn if we take the time to do it. Um, but yeah, again, like I just, about a year ago, our toaster broke at home and I like there's a, you know, just down the road, there's one of those local electronic shops and I took it in and dude looked at me and was like, it's going to cost me $30 to fix it and you could buy a new toaster for 30 bucks. And I'm like, well, Fix it. Fix it. <laughs> and he was, oh, okay. Um, but yeah, as you say, we've got to get into that mindset that maybe that's a better thing that we can all do. And um, the repair cafe is an awesome option for that. Um, yes. Well, while we're here, just shout out to Inner West Tool Library. They're yeah. launching this Saturday. Oh. So you don't have to buy some tools, but you can go in and borrow them. Beautiful. Um, so there's so many other things. You were telling me just in the micro break about, sorry, in the song break about the recycling micro factories. What are, yeah. what are they? So this is another funky thing that some researchers at UNSW are working on right now. And they've actually got a working recycling mini factory, micro factory set up on campus there right now. So the idea here is that, again, instead of thinking about the actual recycling of electronic waste or glass or plastic happening in these giant factories somewhere else, who knows where, um, they've like invented a process that operates in a factory about the size of a studio apartment and only needs about 50 square metres. Um, at the moment, the one that they've got set up there is dealing with e-waste and they are literally getting to a point where they can sort of take the e-waste and in this tiny little micro factory, break down the old electronics, extract the metals, extract the rare earth components, um, extract the plastics and turn that all into cool reusable metals or with the plastics they're actually turning it into the pellets that can maybe go into 3D printers that people are using uh, there. And so they're now also um, trying to bust out another one this year there, another working prototype that would be for glass and plastics. Same concept, but right, just like small scale factory. And the idea that they've got is that like we could have one of these in every neighborhood, right? Um, it would be totally cut down on all the transport 
associated with recycling. Um, but the key thing that they're saying that they need support about is like we also need people to actually want to buy the recycled materials that are coming out of it. Uh, we need some government incentives to make that happen. The glassing is one thing that's really stressing me out. The, the glass is stressing you out. Come on. It is, it is. I just want to put it to the text line 0409-945-945. If you want to start like a personal glass exchange with me, does anyone want all my jars to make no, marmalade for the market? I'm saying Eddie should market? set up the website. <laughs> I have too many glassjars.com. Would you like oh. them? Um, there's other things uh, that we still have to get to because so many people have great ideas that they've kicked off, yep. unlike my glass jar business. <laughs> but so, there's urban composting. Yeah, yeah. And so, look, I know we've all, you know, there's a lot of information and stuff in the last few years about how people can recycle in their own place, you know, whether it's in your backyard composting or on your balcony composting or whatever. But there's also some cool little community composting initiatives that are um, kicking off around the place. Inner West Council had a trial of, like, composting huts in parks last year. Community gardens are asking people to bring in their compost. But there's also some commercial ones that are kicking off. So there's a really interesting one down in Melbourne for instance, uh, where all the little cafes and restaurants on the Grave Street are basically in a little kind of commercial cooperative venture there with this business. And what's happening is that a couple of times a day, somebody who's operating out of a basement around the corner will walk past all the cafes, get all of their food waste um, that's been put, separated out into these, you know, containers, pop it into this, like, you know, big, effectively big bin that has all these, like, funky terrifying microorganisms operating in it that are just breaking down this waste um, and they're turning all the food waste into kind of uh, water waste that's then not going into landfill and they're turning all the coffee grounds which have been completely separated out into all the compost that now the city of Melbourne are using um, around their parks and stuff so again like no emissions at all from transport this is literally being walked around on trolleys from the cafes straight to the basement where it's being processed um, and another super interesting little I feel example. Like, I feel like um, having those things in place at businesses are really important. Um, yeah. Working in hospitality myself, like you do so much at home and then you just see how much waste one yeah, right. a business will go through. So Yeah, and that's it. And so there are a few places in the world now where that same technology has been used by like a big hotel maybe or even there's a university I just saw in America that's just adopted it and it's kind of like... You're right. Like, um, if you see the amount of food that's going into bins at uni every day where I work, it's like crazy. And mm. none of that's being, you know, dealt with properly. So, yeah, these are the kind of little, again, little local micro solutions that we could be using to so stop it going into landfill. I've got one more thing to ask you about. Go ahead. What about this waste to waste thing? Yeah. So this is the... The waste to energy thing, right? Which is this um, a kind of another kind of technological like solution where people are hoping that we can burn, incinerate waste, but in the process of incinerating it, generate energy that then might be powering, you know, people's homes or whatever. So that one's been a bit more controversial. It's actually in use in lots of places in Europe and North America, but um, there was a company that was trying to set one up in Eastern Creek a couple of years ago and actually didn't get approval in the end from the um, the Environmental uh, Protection Authority because there was a big community mobilisation about the air pollution that comes out of the process as well and also the little particulates that are sort of left behind and what happens to them. So that one at the moment, it's a bit wait and see. Like the New South Wales government uh, parliament just had an inquiry into it and they're sort of trying to think about whether that would be an option in cities. But yeah, it's been a bit more 
bit more contentious than some of the other ones. I won't get into it and say that the EPA is a is a oh yeah is a what Eddie go ahead is uh, an arm of the government yeah but well you know we can't be we can't be completely down on the idea of government here oh, yes but they're not, they're not always effective but it's like um, on the other hand in this I guess at least in this particular instance they did you know kind of listen to the residents' voices who were like hang on a second. We're going to have a giant incinerator belching out like particulates in our neighbourhood and 800 metres away from the local school. What's up with that? So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see whether that technology becomes kind of less controversial or, or cleaner um, into the future. Like there's definitely heaps of debate about whether it's saving on emissions or creating them and blah, blah, blah at the moment. So, yeah, who knows? Who knows? Is there anything we do know that we can do? Well, look, I think the thing, even just like going through that list that we've just been through, like, so they're all, what's interesting about them is that they're all things that are kind of small scale that actually could be distributed throughout the neighborhoods in a city. And on that level, I think they're all kind of cool. Um, but they're all kind of different in their own ways as well. Like some of them are a bit more community-minded, community-focused, and you might still want to have a hierarchy where you're kind of trying to encourage all that creative reuse and upcycling before you get into the micro factory recycling before you get into the waste to energy you know what i mean so just thinking about them as a kind of like what's best what's not but the key thing about all of them is they're not just going to happen by some you know miracle of people coming together and going oh great you know it's like all like government actually has a huge role to play in the waste system and how it's organized and pushing certain options and discouraging others. And so it's really exciting now that we're seeing like local governments, especially in um, New South Wales and across Australia, start to like really push. And we've actually got a bunch of our students up at Sydney Uni working hopefully with some councils this semester on like, could you do any of this stuff within your local government area? What would it look like? What resources would it need? All that sort of stuff. Well, well, Please report back with answers. Oh, yeah. We should invite a few of them to come in when they've finished their research and tell you all about it. Excellent. We love a presentation. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Just can't do PowerPoint on the radio. Thank God. All right. Thank you so much, Kurt. It's a pleasure. Thank you. This podcast is produced by FBI Radio in Sydney. Find more at fbiradio.com slash podcasts.